this is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Bajani and me, Robert Cornish. And so, um, welcome to Fintech Unplugged. As those of you in the audience of this next-gen payments forum will know, which is held from Cyprus, Suresh isn't with me today, although he is with me in spirit, but I do have the lovely Peter Oakes, uh, who's going to briefly say who he is. Hey, I'm Peter Oakes. Um, I'm a, uh, a director of a number of payments businesses, um, and uh, I'm here today to have a chat with Robert all about the wonders of fintech here in Cyprus and further afield. And if you've ever listened to Fintech Unplugged, uh, we have something called the bin of confusion, uh, and we then reach into the bin of confusion, and the questions come out of that, and we ask each other those questions. We did get one lovely question uh, from the audience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Peter, the first question from the bin of confusion. Right. So, Peter, the world will become cardless before it becomes cashless. Shouldn't fintech therefore focus also more on the offline payment systems and methods? I, I think what the question is getting at is the fact that the cards obviously are being used regularly yeah. at the moment. They are starting to be uh, ousted by the use of mobile phones. From your last panel yes, session, yeah. you, you, you picked that up quite well. And I think they're, they're saying, are cards going to disappear before cash disappears? And, uh, and uh, is cards not going to disappear because of fintech, because of mobile phone payments, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I guess something's always going to disappear over time. But to, like, I think to be sitting here or standing here and saying, I can foresee a date when cards are going to be removed from society is just... It's hard to hard to fathom. They've been around since the days when I was a child, when my parents had something called a bank card. Wow! Right? Um, well before, and I, I remember getting my ATM card at the age of fourteen when I rolled. That was up. a long time ago. It was. That was about ten years ago. Um, and when I rolled up, not only did I get my ATM card from the bank, I also got a gift. It was in the days when banks could give you gifts for for opening up accounts. So I personally, I don't see uh, uh, in my time. Um, Let's and start. there's not much of that left, not let's much, face it. Not much it. of that left until I turn into my 70s. So um, probably you, you, you'll reach that faster than I do. So <laughs> I, might, I might ask you this one. But I think, you know, obviously um, the reduction of cards, yes. But I find myself having more and more cards in my wallet regardless every day. Um, I also look around at the other forms of technology like uh, that can replace the cards. And we mentioned the phone. We mentioned the, the, the watch. I, I, I have a smartwatch. I don't even use this for, for payments <laughs> at all. I, I sometimes use my phone, but I, I generally take out the credit card yeah. and I tap and go. But in terms of cash, it's interesting that India has gone through a demonetization yeah. exercise. Yeah, they got rid of the high notes. They got rid of their high notes. Uh, Europe has um, basically withdrawn circulation of the 500 euro note. Wow, or I never the, saw one. Or the, yeah, um, or if you go to the south of Spain, you'll see loads of them. They call them the Bin Ladens, because <laughs> they are the uh, preferred tool for, for funding terrorism. But then we also have Malaysia now looking at what was happening with uh, India and, and also asking questions about could they move to a, a cashless society. But again, I think there's always going to be remnants of cash around. Um, it'll still be hidden under the uh, under the bed. Uh, there will be still. Well, I think you're really more looking at southern Europe. I mean, our friend over here from Finland, Sweden, somewhere in the Nordics. I know it's Finland. Sorry, the Finnish yeah. Central Bank. Just, I'm going to run over and ask him. Please. Cashless. It's happening in Finland, isn't it? Tell me. Um, not not as much as people think. Not, not as much as um, you know. Some of the recent discussions lead you to believe. So I think Finland is the country in the Eurozone that uses the least cash, and still 50% of 
point-of-sale transactions are done in cash. That's the, that's the sort of top cash society in, in the Eurozone. Wow. You heard it first on Fintech Unplugged, and that was the uh, Finnish Central Bank. <laughs> Peter, you, you had something to say on that. Yeah, you look, um, I'll judge it by the time I can get into a taxi, and the taxi driver, at least in Ireland, won't insist upon receiving cash because I hailed him from the street. Right? If I book them in advance, I'll take it on the credit card and all the rest. Hail them on the street. If I don't have cash in my back pocket, I don't get home. Um, and I still see many uses for cash. I, I'd hate to see the eradication of cash. But of course, it makes a lot of, it makes a lot of sense because, um, A, you could arguably say that it, it, it puts a limitation on the amount of financial crime that could be in existence. And two, it's also more efficient. I mean, counting that cash, recycling notes, printing those notes. It'd be interesting to see how much it actually physically costs to create a new banknote to replace an existing one, right? So, yeah, I mean, look, we are moving towards a cashless society, absolutely. FinTech is driving, it, driving us in that direction as well. But it's, it's the experience to use technology in a, cashless, in a cashless society has to be one where the friction is very low. And the only friction really with cash is getting to the ATM and taking it out. Yeah, no, I get, I get that, I get that. Um, and, and there was a follow-up question from the audience. Uh, how is this whole mobile uh, area of, of, of experience going to work with the elderly and the disabled? I don't know whether anybody has seen that program, Modern Family, um, but there's a great episode there where the grandfather of the, um, of the program, who's actually a bit younger than um, Rob is, um, he's, uh, he's um, being told how to use his smartphone. And he goes, well, what do I do here? And his son says, all you have to do, Dad, is double-click. And he goes, right, double-click. So up comes the transaction, he goes, and he doesn't have a quick car fast enough, so the transaction comes off the phone, and he hits it again, he goes, damn, what happened? They go, you've got to double click. He goes, I just did that. So he's sitting there, and his double click is at... Really slow. Speed. Really, really slow, right? Um, and you, uh, but however, having said that, the rise of the silver surfer, um, and I know my, uh, my parents-in-law um, uh, are mad fans when it comes to using uh, applications on phones. They really embrace it. But I'm not necessarily saying that's going to be the case across the board, right? But I do think, um, what do you do with somebody who's visually impaired? I mean, the solution for them to utilise an application is not going to be by, by vision. It's going to be by voice or something else. Yeah. Um, as voice Paul or mentioned, feel. Uh, yeah, voice or feel or biometric type data, yeah. right? And then, um, you know, we have to think about how these pro programs will be configured on mobile phones. The other thing is that regulators are always looking at these sort of things too. So they might lump label these things under like a form of financial inclusion, right? So we're all basically obliged to ensure that any products we create these days aren't designed in such a way as they exclude um, uh, certain, certain persons in, in, in society, right? And then we have all sorts of law around equality, etc. But I mean, it still is a, a practical issue because you cannot design a product for every person out there, right? You're designing it for what is your core market. Um, so I think, you know, in relation to the elderly, uh, firstly, they are big users of technology. They are big users of smartphones. I don't have any statistics to, to sort of back me up on that. Uh, but from my own personal experience, um, when we look at the age brackets of some of the customers we have and some of the companies we deal with, we've been surprised about their take up um, of those offerings. So, um, yeah, so that's an interesting question. It's a positive future. Peter, did, did you have any questions? I do, Robert, I do. Um, a lot of interest and excitement around payments companies setting up in Cyprus, and I, I, I'm wondering whether you've heard the same, and if there are companies setting up in Cyprus and payments and e-money, what's driving that? Well, I think that's very interesting, because I think 
Uh, the, the, one of the things definitely driving it is, is the Brexit. There is a lot of uh, UK payment companies that have been looking around forum hunting. Uh, Lithuania has been putting mm -hmm. a big push out there for, for getting payment companies to join. E even your friends in, uh, in Dublin have, uh, have been mm -hmm. pushing. Uh, heaven knows why, because they're so bloody slow, but, uh, uh, but they are particularly slow in, in Ireland in, in getting hold of this. This should be a massive opportunity. But I think Cyprus yeah. is certainly one of the countries that has uh, been putting its neck on the line and saying, come to Cyprus, we will help you, we will, we will help you become a a PI or an EMI in Cyprus. And I think that's, that's quite an interesting one. And I, I, I think there is a, a positive attitude from the Cyprus financial services to bring people in. Don't want to go into the argument, will London lose its fintech crown because of Brexit? Because I don't think we'll, we'll get to the end of that, but I think the general view is that no, it will still be a major capital. But in terms of Cyprus then, um, and what it's looking to do, um, I mean, it really become a, it might become a second home for companies in London. So I don't imagine anyone's going to stop doing business in London, but more uh, give Cyprus a second look and maybe Cyprus would become a second home or maybe become the EU passport home for the business whilst a front office, so to speak, or a sales office may still reside yeah, in I, London. I, I think that's exactly what it would like to be. And I think that is an opportunity. And especially with the amazing weather we're having out here, I think it would be a, a welcome place for Brits to have a, a second fintech company uh, which is regulated. Yeah, but to get us to that point then, um, obviously you have to go through the authorisation process. Of course. Filing and all the rest. Um, do you identify any sort of, uh, what, what, what would be something that the firm should be thinking about coming down here I mean, in terms of not necessarily obstacles, but what should they be preparing themselves for um, through the authorisation process from start to finish? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the with any authorization process, as, as with the Irish one, as with the Lithuanian one, it's going to be a matter of form filling. There's going to be a likelihood that you're going to have to have people on the ground here. You need an office. So there is a, there is a cost overhead. There is a personnel overhead. But I think at the end of the day, the aim, aim of it will be to uh, create an environment that is fintech friendly in Cyprus. And if we can create that in Cyprus, then I think that will bring the businesses across here as their second home. And I'm just wondering, is there something else to unpack there? Is that potential um, partnerships with businesses in London, with businesses that are already established in Cyprus, so that rather than every firm looking to get their own license, would there be an opportunity maybe, and you don't have to answer this, I'm not sure there is an answer to it per se, but um, to find a, a regulated firm here and partner with them? I think that, that would be another option. I mean, you, yeah. you've always got the option under the uh, Payment Service Directive and the Money Directive yeah. to be a agent of a, an a, uh, of an EMI or a PI in another country. So that would that would definitely be, be an option. Um, I, I'm going to just throw in one last sure. question to you. Um, and it's about GDPR, one thing we love. And it's also about another thing we love a lot, which is, is Bitcoin distributed ledger. Now, is there some sort of mismatch between these two things? Because if you look at what's going on on Bitcoin distributed ledger, uh, blockchain technologies, a lot of them are doing like ID verification yeah. services. They're coming up with all these new things. But surely GDPR has this thing, this right to be forgotten in it, yeah? Yeah. You can never be forgotten. It's immutable. It's there for eternity. Once you put something on the blockchain, it'll never go. Is, is this the death knell for blockchain? Yeah, that's an interesting one, actually, because when you look at the definition of what a data controller is under the GDPR, and even under the former Data Protection um, Acts, um, it doesn't capture a platform as a data controller. 
So this, I think this is very interesting. Like it doesn't capture, and forgive me for those who love blockchain, I like it. It doesn't capture Excel spreadsheets as a data controller. So I'm wondering here, right? So, so you're saying this is like outside scope of GDPR? Well, it sort of is, but indirectly maybe it's not, um, in the sense that the person who put the data onto blockchain will be considered to be a data controller for that purpose. But then if you take your That's highly point, likely to be the person that's actually putting their own data on. I mean, that's, that's well, the unless, idea, isn't it? Well, unless you go through an intermediary to put that data on, such as an exchange of puts course. it on, on yeah, yeah. for you, then they're the data controller. But are they then responsible for your data? Or are they your data processor? Yeah, or they are your data processor. But are they responsible for your data once it goes onto the blockchain? Because how else would they be able to argue we can't action your right to be forgotten? Because you know what, even if we, we physically can't action it. No, we can't there is no way to data. be forgotten yeah. on the blockchain. Yeah. You're there forever. Which also then speaks to the point about people saying uh, Bitcoin transactions are anonymous. If that information is classified as personal identifiable information and we argue that it can't be taken off the blockchain and that's a concern, that means that we know the origins of all these transactions. So how can regulators and law enforcement bodies say that blockchain and Bitcoin is nothing more than anonymity? It sort of actually blows that argument out of the water as well. Exactly. You can't have, it, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is a good answer. I think uh, it'd be, be interesting to welcome some uh, feedback from our, our podcast audience and our live audience on, on that one. Has anyone got any views on, the, on whether blockchain is the solution to GDPR or is it going to be killed by GDPR? There's one in the front row. This is I'm running over. Uh, under GDPR, unless you give me your consent, I can't give you a name. Do you give me consent? Yes. I've got yeah. unlimited consent. This is on forever. This is never going to leave. And, and the guy's name is Vikas Munchi, and he is lead platform architect from ING Netherlands. So I think blockchain has uses beyond just storing your private information. You know, if uh, storing private information on blockchain is a problem because of GDPR, I just don't put private information over there. Okay. That's a practical solution there from the audience. Before we go, uh, at the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about the initials NPF, which is the Next Gen Payments Forum. And I, I did ask the audience to uh, give us some feedback. And Natalie is going to kindly come up and read the top three answers, all of whom will be given an additional free cocktail tonight <laughs> by our great sponsors, MXGO. So um, my favourite one, which is also funny, is No Personal Feelings. Who wrote that? Gert. Gert. Yeah. So my next two are from the same person, I think. I hope that's fair. Probably not, but anyway. Um, next payment, Funtech. Funtech. We like Funtech. And also New Players Fear Not. Thank you all very much. When we leave this podcast, um, we normally bring helicopters or private jets. Uh, how are we going to leave today? I think we're by the sea. A speedboat is going to come and pick us up. Well, I was going to swim, but... I'll race you in my speedboat. And I'll do the Australian crawl. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Goodbye.